Today, we are kicking off part four of the Jonah series, and so far we've covered uh, chapters one through three. We learned that Jonah is running from God, Jonah runs to God, Jonah runs with God, and then Jonah runs against God. That's what we're going to press into today, and I don't know about you, but I know for my family and I, I want to spend the rest of my life running to God and running with God, amen? And I want our church to do the same. We've learned that this is not just a story about a man that relentlessly runs from God, but this is a story about God that is relentlessly running after man. So just a little recap, Jonah flees from God. He gets a command from the Lord, go to Nineveh and preach against it for their wickedness has come up before me. And what do y'all know? Jonah goes the opposite direction to Tarshish and he catches a boat at Joppa. He pays the fare. He gets on the boat. Anybody ever been in direct disobedience to God? It's okay to be honest in church. My hand, everything is up. All right. Uh, He gets on the boat and he starts heading towards Tarshish and we know that a storm comes up on the sea and they start freaking out and And uh, they go down beneath the deck where Jonah had fallen asleep. And he was not asleep because he was tired. He was probably asleep because he's completely disconnected with the reality of his sin. And they wake him up and they say, Jonah, get up and call on your God. And so he gets up, he goes to the surface of the boat and he says, throw me into the sea and it will grow calm. And so they, they do the opposite. They begin to throw cargo overboard and continue to row back to land. That is not effective. And so they throw Jonah into the sea. The sea grows calm. And we see a modern-day Uber come and pick up your boy, okay? And this fish comes and scoops up Jonah and begins to take him on a three-day journey back to the place that he was supposed to go from the beginning. He prays inside the belly of this fish. We learned that every time we call He answers. He is faithful. And he answers Jonah. He gives him a second chance. Chapter 3 is what we covered last week. He gets spit out onto dry ground. And he begins to go through the city for 40 days, proclaiming, hey, in 40 days, the city will be overthrown. And he's, he's calling people to repent. And we learned last week what real repentance is. It requires real change. Tell your neighbor, say, it's real change. Because God doesn't just want us to say sorry and continue to live in sin. The rebellious king, it's interesting, he actually teaches us more about humility in one day of following God than Jonah taught us in his entire life. He received the word. The king got off of the throne. He took off pride. He took off his royal robes. He put on humility. He covered himself in sackcloth. And he gets low before God as he sat in the dust of the earth. And we learned last week that when it comes to sharing the gospel, our responsibility is to share. Their responsibility, the hearer, is to respond. And it is God's responsibility to save. Where we often get mixed up and you see gung-ho Christians is when you think it's your responsibility to save. It's God's responsibility. He draws people to repentance. So uh, in, in short, Jonah teaches us the urgency of sharing the gospel. Nineveh teaches us the urgency of responding to it. Because you never outgrow your need for the gospel. Can I have an amen? We all need to respond to it. And in chapter 4, what we see is that Jonah is not a big fan of Nineveh's response. 
I want to ask you an interesting question. As I prepared this message this morning, I kept going back to this question. Why in the world did God pick Jonah? You ever thought about that? I know I ask kind of silly questions sometimes, but if you really think about it, God could have chose anyone in the world to go preach against the city of Nineveh. He probably knew that Jonah would be completely disobedient. He probably could have chose someone that would be more obedient, that would do what he says the first time. So why in the world did God pick Jonah to send this message to Nineveh? I want you to write this down. God was taking care of two evils at once. God was taking care of two evils at once because by sending Jonah... He would deal with the sickening religion that was in Jonah's heart while dealing with the sinful rebellion in the heart of Nineveh. Just as much as God wants to save people in sinful rebellion, hear me this morning, he wants to rescue those who are neck deep in religion as well. Do y'all know that God's really good at multitasking? He's probably the best. He's, He's omnipresent, and so he can be everywhere he wants to be at once. He's He can do things that far exceed our understanding and and things that we can't even comprehend. He's always working. And so this story, as I've studied it, has opened my mind a little bit and reminded us of this valuable lesson that God oftentimes will do a work in you as he does a work through you. That God doesn't just want to do something through you. Yes, he does want to do that, but God wants to do a deeper work inside of the hearts of the people that would follow him. God will call you to do something and then he wants to do something new inside of you. You thought that your neighbor, your new neighbor across the street who uh, votes differently than you, hey who sins differently than you, who looks differently than you, who dresses differently than you, who smells differently than you, you thought that your mission was just to go minister and love and serve that person, but really God wanted to do a work in your heart as well. Oh, you thought you were just going on a mission trip to go serve people and feed people and join the local outreach team to to, to have your hand feed a hungry mouth, but what God is wanting to do in your heart is to show you the condition of the city that you live in. You know, I I thought for the longest time that I was going to have kids so I could, you know, have a legacy and and raise up kids, kingdom impactors, and that is world changers, and that is true. But really, God wants to do a work inside me as a parent. Can I get an amen from the parents? Some people believe that a lot more than others. There's two miracles in motion in this story, and this is what is happening in Jonah's life. God is reaching the people of Nineveh all while God is reaching and refining the hearts of Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Jonah chapter 4, if you've got a Bible, that's where we're going to be today. Verse 1, it says, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. If you would be honest with me this morning, raise your hand if you've ever been angry before, okay? If you want to vote for your spouse, just raise their hand, okay? And I want you to know that it's okay to be angry. And it's also okay to bring your anger to the Lord. He's God. He's the creator of the universe. He can kind of handle your anger. But the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Jonah thought that God wasn't just wrong. He thought that God was very wrong. 
Another translation says that he thought that God was evil, that he thought what he was doing, saving these people was evil. It said that he was exceedingly displeased with God. Everybody say yikes. Yeah. If you ever find yourselves exceedingly displeased with God and you think he's evil, smell the coffee. I want you to write this down. This is kind of a tongue twister. If something seems wrong to me that is right with God, then something is wrong with me. If something seems wrong to me that is right with God, then something is wrong with me. And and the reality is I need to get right with God. Anytime you find yourself angry about something that God is joyful about, we should probably take note of that. I want to explain how silly what what is happening in chapter 4 actually is. I want you all to imagine that I preach all day on Sunday and every person that comes into church this Sunday has a response of repentance. I'm talking about just incredible response. Everybody repents. And then I go home after preaching on Sunday and I am mad at God that people got saved. Are y'all tracking with me? (laughs) This is where Jonah is at. Jonah did not want repentance. He wanted revenge. He wanted to see a city go up in smoke. He wanted the city of Nineveh to be overturned. And any time that we desire something that goes against the very nature of God, we will end up angry, bitter, unhappy, and calloused, just like Jonah. In verse 2, it says, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by by fleeing to Tarshish. Y'all, Jonah knew what he was doing. Circle this in your Bible. It says, I knew. Jonah knew. He says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God that relents from sending calamity. Write this down. Jonah knew about God. Jonah knew about God. When when I was in Bible school, uh, some of you have heard my story. I was playing ball and uh, I got radically saved. I got invited to New Life Church, and uh, everything kind of unfolded from there. I went back to school. I'd finally declared a major because I was a junior in college and still hadn't picked one. I was going to be a baseball coach and, and major in lunch, and so that's what I was going to do. And so that was my plan. God had other plans. I said yes to his plans. I'll never forget this class that I was sitting in. I was in a room full of people who knew a lot of things about God, but sometimes acted differently. It was pastoral leadership too. And I was in class with a lot of young pastors. I think I was one of the only ones in the class that wasn't a pastor. I was still trying to figure out like who Jesus was, what the Bible was. I didn't even really have a Bible at the time. And and I was really confused. And I was sitting on the front row because I needed all the help I could get. And I remember at the beginning of the class, this teacher, he would take prayer requests. Hey, does anybody have a prayer request? And and a guy in the back of the class, he stood up. And, and he, he starts saying, I need you guys to pray. He is, he's weeping. I need you guys to pray for me because two nights ago, my father committed suicide. He took his life. And the whole room, it got silent. And, and, and this guy is weeping in the back of the classroom. And he mumbles very quietly under the, the, the sound of his breath. And he, and he says this. This is what he says. He says, and I know one day that I will see my father again in heaven. I just need you guys to pray for me because I'm in a lot of pain. And a guy in the front of the classroom stood up and he looked at the guy in the back. And I'm not going to say the guy's name up front, Jonathan. And um, I'm just kidding. That's not his name. And, And he says, 
do you really think that you're going to see your dad again? It was like the air was sucked out of the room. Now, keep in mind, I was barely saved. I didn't know it wasn't appropriate to fight in Bible class. And so I stand up. I was, a, I was a fighter, not a lover, okay? And so at this time, I was still figuring some things out, and I stood up, and I said, I want you to know, I was pointing at the guy up front, this is the middle of Bible class, you are the reason I did not want to follow God when we moved here. Because if looking like you meant following Jesus, I don't want to follow Jesus. And I looked at the guy in the back of the class, and I said, I want to let you know that you were the first person to share the good news of the gospel with me at this school. You walked up awkwardly, I'll never forget it. You, you stuffed this little Bible track, this daily bread up against my chest and you said, I feel like God wants me to give you this and I, and I gave it back to you. And then he gave it back to me. And then I gave it back and it was this back and forth. And then finally he's like, please keep this. I'm supposed to give it to you. Just promise me you will read it. And I read it every day. It was, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was our daily bread. And I read that thing. And I said, dude, thank you for showing me Jesus. And I looked at this other guy and I said, I need you to get up because we're going outside. <laughs> and so the teacher dismisses class and he's like, he dismisses class. He's like, Seth, you stay. We need to talk about your approach. Um, <laughs> class was dismissed. <laughs> Y'all hear me? Jonah had good theology. He got A pluses on the Bible quiz. He was number one at his Bible school. He knew the memory verses. Jonah was a prophet. He had a relationship with the Lord. Y'all, he, he knew in his mind that God was gracious, that God was compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. Jonah didn't just know things about God. He had experienced the grace of God. Don't, don't forget in Jonah chapter 2, this brother is in the middle of a fish. He's in a fish. God gives him a second chance in the middle of the ocean and takes him back to where he's supposed to be. So he, Jonah proves to us that you can know all that there is to know about God. You can be rescued from the depths of the sea and you, you can still have a heart that is hard as stone. It is completely callous to the people that God wants us to love and reach. One of the worst things that could happen in a church is that it would be full of Christians that memorize the Bible but fail to apply it to their life. Christians that know right but they refuse to do right. And I have fallen into this so many times. But listen, y'all, I love good theology. This is a study of the nature of God. I love the word of God. I believe we need to get it inside of our heart. We have to know the truth because knowing the truth will set you free. And so if you don't know the truth, it can set you free. We need to know the word, but listen, a failure to apply that very word to our lives will make us look a lot more like Pharisees than blood-bought Christians. So I want to ask this question, how can you experience the grace of God like Jonah and then try to withhold it from someone else? How can you have your life radically saved in the depths of the sea? The word literally means Sheol. It's your life is going through hell. And your life is saved and you want to withhold that grace from hundreds of thousands of other people who just sin differently than you do. Because listen, if what's in your head has not made its way into your heart, you will find yourself receiving grace and then stifling it from others. You'll hide it from people. You won't share the good news of the gospel and fear that maybe this person will end up in eternity with me and I got to spend the rest of my life with them. 
I don't blame Jonah sometimes. This, this guy, he had a hatred for the very people that God wanted to reach. Listen, Jonah proves to us in chapter 4 that God's love and his grace has not made the 18-inch journey from Jonah's head to Jonah's heart. I want you to write this down. We are 18 inches from real change. Because you can know all there is to know about God. You could spend 30, 40, 50 years in church and you can completely miss it. If it has not changed your heart and has not changed your posture, then you have not changed. We are 18 inches from real change. That is the distance between your head and your heart. I said it in first service, unless you have a really short neck. So, so many people, they not only miss the great commission and the great commandment by 18 inches, some people will miss eternity in heaven by 18 inches. And, and I don't want us to forget what happens in this fish. Jonah doesn't have a memory problem. Jonah prayed in the middle of the fish. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. The waters threatened me, but you, Lord my God, you've brought my life up from the pit. Listen, Jonah does not have a memory problem. Jonah did not forget what God had done for him. He remembers clearly the grace of God. He just didn't want God's grace to go to those people. Everybody say those people. Everybody's got a those people, by the way. And for the rest of the sermon, I want you to figure out in your heart and in your head who's, who those people are in your life, because that is what this chapter is about. Jonah didn't forget. Jonah was prejudiced. Jonah was a, was a racist. A guy texted me after last service. He said, Jonah wasn't just a racist. He was a gracist. He didn't want grace for anybody else. This dude was jacked up. Jonah was a religious bigot. And in chapter four of Jonah, chapter four, Jonah has failed to see his own sin and he has become an expert at everybody else's. And I just want to caution you this morning if you have a feeling or a stance against a certain type of person that does not line up with the Bible, then you need to recognize this morning. Well, it's just how I feel. Well, I don't know about you, but I submit my feelings to God in the authority of his scripture to be led by his Holy Spirit because I'm a son of God. Well, I just don't agree with them. God didn't ask for you to agree with them. He said, love them and serve them. Well, well, you don't know what they did. God said, forgive those who persecute you. And I, I imagine the room would be as tense as it is right now. <laughs> he is so angry that God is showing grace to the very people that he despises. Jonah hates these people. It's his enemy. John, or in John chapter 4, it says, dear friends, let's love each other. Because love is from God and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person, please hear me, who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. Jonah did not have a problem with God being gracious to him, but Jonah had a problem with God being gracious to those people. He did not like those people. So much to the point that Jonah tells God, I would rather die than see my enemy be saved. Verse three, it says, now, Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. 
But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? I want to make a note here. I've learned in my life, if God is asking you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. (laughs) If God is asking you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because you clearly have the wrong one. God says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? This is an opportunity again in chapter 4. Again, we'll see it again, to turn to God. This is another chance for Jonah to get it right. This is a picture of God's grace. Listen, Jonah doesn't even respond verbally. His response is is verse 5. Y'all ever had somebody tell you something or ask you a hard question? You don't even know what to say, so you just turn around and walk away. He walks away and he goes to the hillside. Jonah had gone out. And he sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. I want you to underline that in your Bible. Make note of this. He made himself a shelter. And he sat in its shade. And he waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah made himself a shelter and he sat in its shade. If you you read ahead one verse, God provides Jonah shade for his head to ease his discomfort. What does this mean? It means that what you can provide for yourself will never fully satisfy you. That only the Lord can give you true comfort to ease the pain that you are in. Jonah, I want you to get this picture. It's like he had gone up on the hill And he was getting ready for the tailgate. He got his little pop-up tent ready, and he got the grill going, and and, and he's he's got his lawn chairs out. He's he's smoking some some meat and and, and getting the burgers ready and the brats, and, and he is ready to set up and see what would happen to the city. And from Jonah's perspective, these people have sinned against him, so they should be punished. But in God's perspective, these people have sinned against him, but they have truly repented, so they should be forgiven. Jonah's angry. I've noticed when it comes to sin, as humans, we have a very weird perspective. I want to explain. Have you ever walked through the woods, walked through a forest? I've noticed we have a weird perspective when it comes to other people's sin and our own sin Because we will look at other people's sin at ground level, walking through the forest like big oak trees. My goodness, y'all got a lot of sin. Y'all ever been scrolling through Facebook? Don't be be lying, all right? Y'all been on Facebook, you're like, man, they still ain't got it together since high school. My goodness, that person's life is so messed up. Man, at least we're not as bad as they are. Man, that's a big oak tree. That's a lot of sin. And then we treat our own sin like this cute little rose bush. Well, it's not so bad. I know there's a few thorns in there, but there's flowers. There's roses. It's kind of cute. It's not as bad as that sin when in all reality, if we zoom out and we have an eternal perspective and we see sin the way that God sees sin. Have y'all ever flown in a plane and looked at trees? It's all just one big dark spot on the earth. That's how God sees sin. And he sees it, if you are blood-bought through Jesus, he sees it through the sacrifice of his son, which was the perfect atonement for your sin. So listen, for us to say your sin is worse than my sin is, is absolute insanity. No one is less deserving of God's grace because they sin differently than you do. Jonah had so much resentment built up in his heart. And I want to say this, resentment is a welcome mat for a lot of other things bad in your life. 
If you are bitter and you are resenting someone, you have propped the door open and pride is the doorstop. You kick that door open and you are letting all hell break loose in your life. When you hold someone else hostage and you are bitter and you resent them, it is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. And so the door is wide open and the first thing that comes knocking on the door and comes in is is frustration. And and you begin to complain. Has anybody ever been around a complainer before? Nudge your neighbor if it's them. All right, just, you got to stop. I saw some people hit somebody. My goodness. Complaining. I've noticed this about people that complain is they don't actually want the problem to be fixed because if the problem was fixed, they would have nothing to gripe about. Listen, if you are complaining about something, especially in church, and you're not willing to be a part of the solution, don't talk. Well, Seth, the lines are backed up in the kids' ministry. You should hold a baby. We would really love your help. No, I'm not called to do that. But you're called to complain about everything? Okay, I'll stop. Next one. I'm going to get an email about that one. All right. Frustration and complaining. Lord, please come back. All right, thank you. It's this. It's anger and self-pity. As soon as the door is propped open with resentment and you're frustrated and you're complaining and now you're angry and you have self-pity, which is this, you think you are justified in your anger. And it slowly turns into depression and isolation. We see this in Jonah's life. Depression. Mother Teresa, I thought this was beautiful. She said, America's leprosy is loneliness. Sometimes depression is being frozen right in the middle of your anger and frustration. Jonah takes his depression and he does the worst thing that he could do. He doesn't go to God. He goes to the hillside. He isolates himself. There's a a significant difference, by the way, in solitude and isolation. Solitude is when you get alone with God. Isolation is when you get alone with you. And that ain't good. That's when you start believing the lies of the enemy. I heard a parent say recently that when they send their kids to the room, they don't say shut the door. They say keep it open because the enemy has no place in your room to lie to you. You start listening to the the, the whispers of the enemy and you start believing things that are not true about you and not true about God. So we get bitter, we get frustrated, we get angry, depressed, and isolated. And then we start having thoughts of ending careers. You start having thoughts of, well, I'm not even, I'm not going to come to church anymore. Everything is falling apart. I'm going to end this marriage. I'm going to end this thing. I'm going to end my life. We see in Jonah's life, he starts having suicidal thoughts. He has gotten into such a bad place that he is now saying to God multiple times, it is better for me to die than to live. To Jonah, it would be better in his perspective to die than to watch the Assyrians experience the love and grace that he experienced. That's how you know that you are far from the the things of God. Verse six, it says, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. This is interesting. Jonah was very happy about the plant. This is the first time from Jonah one to Jonah chapter four that this brother has been happy about anything. He's happy about the plant. But at dawn, plot twist, God provided a worm. And it chewed the plant so that it withered. 
We've seen God in this story provide a lot of things, a wind, a great storm, a great fish, a plant, a worm, another scorching wind. I want you to write this down. Everything that God provides in your life is to draw you closer to him. Everything that God provides in your life is is to draw you closer to him. It may be like a wind which can redirect your life. It may be like a fish that literally something shows up or someone shows up and takes you to where you're supposed to go. It may be like a storm that is supposed to fix your eyes on on God. It may be like a plant. And you've you've been trying for years to provide your own comfort in your 401k, in your savings, in your bank account. I'm gonna build my own little kingdom and give myself comfort. I wanna ask you, how is that going? It will fade away. We don't take a suitcase to heaven. And and all of these things that God provides, or maybe you're here this morning and you're frustrated with God because he has provided a worm and it has eaten away the very thing that you have found comfort in. You have built this little comfortable life, isolated yourself from what God has called you to do, and God has provided a worm to eat the very plant that he provided in your life. And now you are angry. If you haven't learned from Jonah's story, God doesn't want you to be comfy. Can I have an amen? Tell your neighbor, say, he's talking to you. And then tell your second, say, it's talking to me, all right? He doesn't want you to be comfortable. He wants you to move forward. He wants you to get moving. God did not save you so that you could sit in the shade and kick up your feet and cheer on everybody else doing great things for God. That's not why he saved you. He he vomited Jonah up on the land to go share that very grace with the people he wanted to reach. Today, maybe you feel like your comfort is being challenged. I want you to ask this question. God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to stop doing? What do you want me to start doing? Because as humans, we often take the path of least resistance. At least I do. But obedience always requires resistance. Y'all remember the old worship song, Blessed Be Your Name? I think that's how it is. Blessed be the... There's a reason I didn't get in choir. The name of the Lord. Bless, y'all know what I'm talking about? Not, not if you know what I'm saying. Blessed be your name, Jesus. But you sing it if you know it. Blessed be the name of... Don't leave me hanging. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Seth will never be in the choir. Okay. <laughs> Listen, that, that lyric jumped off the page to me. My heart will choose to say. Not my mind. Not all the things I know about God, but my heart. I'm going to remember the place that he saved me from. I want you to write this down. God gives and takes away. Those lyrics are powerful because they're true. Listen, when God gives you something, like when you get a promotion, you get to get that awesome car, or you get a ray, whatever whatever it is. That relationship, a little boo thing, a little shouty, you know what I'm saying? You get, you're happy. Oh, oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, God, you're so good. But when he provides a worm, And it's taken away. We ain't singing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're singing a different song. 
But that's when we need to say, my heart will choose to say. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Blessed be the name. So, so I'll say it this way. There's gonna come a time in your life if you have not experienced it following Jesus yet where your heart is gonna have to make a decision, where you are gonna have to make a decision. I'm gonna choose to say, blessed be the name. My kid's sick, blessed be the name. I got a kid running from God, blessed be the name. Some family member is back in jail, blessed be the name. Go visit them. Blessed be the name because my heart will choose to say, God is making you a little uncomfortable, blessed be his name. God is asking you to love your enemy, blessed be his name. God's asking you to forgive the person who inflicted the most amount of pain on your life, blessed be the name. God's asking you to love your neighbor who votes differently than you. God, change their mind, please, oh Lord. Yeah, I'm kidding, don't sing that song. This is God's will. Everything that he asks us to do is so uncomfortable, but it's so worth it. Verse eight, it says, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, he wanted to die. He says again, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He's given him another chance. And he says, it is. Y'all ever had a kid talk back to you? Zane did it again this week. I spanked him and he said, that didn't hurt. We are gonna do it again, try it again. You do not pass go, you do not collect $200, you know. He says, I'm so angry, I wish that I were dead. God is still giving Jonah chances and Jonah refuses to change his mind. In verse one, if we rewind back, we see that Jonah is exceedingly uncomfortable and angry. If you fast forward into verse six, you see that Jonah is exceedingly comfortable and he's glad. I want you to see this. Jonah is very angry with God about God's grace being shown to those people, but he's very happy about God's grace being shown to him. All of this summarizes this whole book right here. This, this reveals Jonah's greatest love. Anybody know what it is? It's himself. Jonah's greatest love is himself. Jonah's love for himself overrides the love that he was supposed to have for his enemy. It overrides the love that he was supposed to have for God. Because when you love yourself more than you love God, you are now the Lord of your own life. If you don't want your toes stepped on, tuck them under the seat. If you love yourself, we live in a world that's just like, you just do you, boo-boo. Whatever you, you just live your own truth. Listen, that ain't gonna go well. We, we live in a world now that worships self-care. I'm not against self-care, but when everything is about you and your life is about you and everything points back to you, you have become the Lord of your own life and it's not a good place to be. The word says, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Sounds like all of my garden. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand. And, and so many animals, for all the animal lovers, that's in there too, okay? God ends this whole story 
with the question. And I have been so frustrated about it. Can I be honest with y'all this morning? I have been ticked off. God, why is there not a Jonah chapter five? What happened to Jonah? Did that brother sit on that hill under his little tailgating thing that he set up and just weep and pout? He's the pouting prophet. Did he get his life together? I wanna know the end of the story. Does anybody else? What did Jonah end up doing? Did he go down to Nineveh and start saying, I'm sorry, guys, please forgive me for judging you? I don't know. And here's what you need to know. It's not important. It's not important because there's another story in the Bible that ends very similar to this one. It's found in the New Testament. We preached about it back in March. It's the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember this? Story of the prodigal son. He, he gets his father's wealth and he goes off to a distant land and he, he squanders everything that his father gave him. He starts eating with the pigs. He's rolling around in the slop. He settles for, for second best when he has access to everything that his father has. He runs as far away as he could go. He's the prodigal. And then he realizes that it's better for me to come back home. He comes back home. The father meets him right where he's at. They rejoice. The father's like, get the fattened calf, get the ring, get the robe. We're about to throw a party for him. And what happens? The older brother, the religious older brother, you don't forget about him. He goes off and sits on the hillside, just like Jonah did in chapter four. And he's watching all this go down and the father's at the party and everyone's celebrating, everybody's partying because when one person rejoices and comes back to know the Lord, all of heaven throws a party. But this religious brother says, why, why would you do this for him? I haven't left you. I haven't done any wrong. I have, that's what a religious person does, by the way. You start measuring other people's sin up to yours, which is so silly. And the father goes to the religious son and he says, what are you doing? And he's like, why did you do this for him? It's interesting to me that we don't know how that story ends either. It ends with a question. Jonah ends with a question. The prodigal son story ends with a question. And my question for you this morning is, do you want to be like Jonah? He began in chapter one as the prodigal son. And he ends in chapter four being the religious older brother. I don't ever wanna be a person that experiences the grace and mercy of God and tries to keep it to myself. Jonah runs from God, he runs to God, he runs with God, and then unfortunately, Jonah starts running against him. Jonah's entire story can be summarized in three words. Woe is me. Woe is me. Self-pity, self-righteousness, everything is about me. It's a very self-centered approach to life. And over the last four weeks, I have prayed, how do we end this sermon, Lord? How do, we, how do we end this series? And I think God wants us to look at Jonah's life. Please don't miss this this morning, please. And he wants us to look at the four chapters of his life, running to God, running from God, running to God, running with God and running against God, full of pride and religion. And he wants us this morning to look into the story and be able to confidently say, whoa, that's me. He wants you to identify yourself in the story. So where are you at this morning? Or you, you may be running from God. Let me tell you, God is great at giving second chances. 
and he will open you. He will open up his arms and welcome you. All of heaven will throw a party. Maybe you're running to God right now. Please keep on running. He'll meet you where you're at. He will forgive you. He will wash you. He will clean you up and give you a new name, a new purpose, a second chance. Anybody thankful for the grace of God in their life? Or maybe... You are running with God and you are on mission. And hey, let me tell you, I couldn't be prouder as a pastor. I could not be more proud to see you pursuing the things of God, but maybe you're here and you have gotten stale. You've gotten eat up by religion. You're running against God. You think you have a better way. You've become like the religious older brother. You've become like Jonah sitting on the hillside saying those people don't deserve grace. Let me tell you God's grace is for everybody who would call upon his name. And it's our job to simply love people and serve them. I want you to hear this. The moment that you are the most like Jesus is the moment that you love and serve people who are different than you, pointing them to Jesus. But the moment that you are most unlike Jesus is the moment that you stop loving and stop serving people because they look and sin differently than you do, ultimately pointing them somewhere else other than God. Our focus has to be on Jesus. Can somebody say amen? It has to, we need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need God's grace. Jonah is not the best example, but oh, let me tell you this morning, Jesus is. He was the perfect atonement for our sin. I wanna read this. This is the most beautiful thing to finish this series. When you read the story of Jonah, you see the gap between Jonah and God. They're not on the same page. There is a, a gap Jesus came in the New Testament to bridge the gap between us, a broken humanity, and bridge the gap to a father who wants relationship with his kids. The life that Jesus lived qualified him for the death that he died. The death that he died qualifies you and I for the life that he has called us to live. Jesus is the better Jonah. Hear this, this is beautiful. Jonah traveled from Israel to Nineveh. Jesus travels from heaven to earth. Jonah cared for his nation and only his nation. Jesus cares for every nation, every tribe and every tongue. Jonah traveled unwillingly. Jesus traveled willingly. Jonah had a heart that was filled with hate. Jesus has a heart that is filled with love. Jonah wanted his enemies to be punished and Jesus was punished for all of his enemies. Jonah departed from the people. Jesus came to dwell among his people in flesh. Jonah sat on a high place, hoping for damnation. Jesus is sitting on a throne at the right hand of the Father, praying for your salvation. Jonah came out of a fish. Jesus came out of the grave. Jonah came with a word from God, and Jesus came as the word of God. I don't know about you, but this gets me excited to see the grace of God. Jonah saw a king get off of a throne and repent and hear me this morning. Jesus is the king of kings who got off of his throne so that we would all repent and call upon his name. Jonah sees a revival in a nation. Jesus sees revival for every generation, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every person who would call upon the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you with confidence from the bottom of my feet to the top of my forehead that God wants his people to call upon his name. The whole story of Jonah. 
God will use you no matter what. You are not too far gone. You have not said too much. You have not seen too much. He wants to use your life, but when he does a work through you, he wants to do a work inside of your heart as well. You are not damaged goods. Hear me, empty nesters in the room, your kids are away from home. Your best days are not behind you. There is something for you in this season. God wants you to pick up the tool and go back to work and don't look back. We're about to sing a song that I think is the most beautiful way to end this series. It's called Make Room. We're gonna sing this. It's God, will you make room? Will you do whatever you want to? Some of the lyrics, it says, shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion because your way is better. So across the room, if you would close your eyes, I just want you to prepare your heart. God wants to speak to you this morning. I know he's moving right now. He'll use a jacked up sermon just like he did with Jonah to reach every person that he wants to. I want you to know it's all about Jesus. God is calling people to himself. 